welcome to the Karmic Capitalist Podcast, stories of companies that are doing capitalism better. Making huge profits and helping lawyers get richer. This is part of the claim of law firm Ari Grace founder, Lindsay Healy. So have I sold out in getting him onto the Karmic Capitalist? Well, I hope when you listen to this, you'll see that I haven't. He set it up with a model that provides many more winners when compared with the traditional law firm model. Clients get an excellent legal service for less cost. Lawyers earn more and are able to contribute to causes they care about. And the company, which is a CIC, donates as full profits to social and environmental projects. Lindsay talks through how they make all of this work, the fundamental value of wealth share that underpins it, and how it naturally extends to their work to make the law a more diverse and equitable profession. It's a fascinating and in-depth conversation about a model that I believe will be disruptive to the law industry, and in a good way. Enjoy. So hello and welcome to The Karmic Capitalist and I am delighted today, I think we'll find out soon, to have uh, Lindsay Healy with me uh, here today who's the founder of law firm Aria Grace, which is the 2023 Law Company of the Year and and you can see on its uh, on its website that it uh, boasts of making huge profits and you know, I'm just sat here thinking, you know, I'm talking to lawyers I'm talking to a company that makes huge profits, and this is the karmic capitalist. Have I sold out? Have I sold out, Lindsay? Why have I got you here? <laughs> yes, you have sold. <laughs> you definitely sold out. <laughs> it was a cheap price. My soul can be had for a penny and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, for, first of all, it's lovely to be here, and I think it's it's great to be able to talk to you. I've, I love the things that you guys do, and I, I love the things that you stand for. Which ironically and without a word of, of, you know, misinterpretation, that's precisely what we, we aspire to and to, to do at Area Grace Law CIC. We're a corporate law firm based in, in London with people all around the globe. We're five years old. And as you said, we won this year, we won, uh, law company of the year at the lawyer awards for anyone who's not a lawyer. You know, that's kind of like the equivalent of Oscars for lawyers. It's a huge privilege and it's a huge recommendation by our peers from US law firms and city law firms uh, in, in, here in the UK and here in London. Oscars for massive. lawyers. Oscars for lawyers. That, that sounds like a thing where if you're the, doing the if you're the master of ceremonies, you're going to have to be really careful about how you phrase stuff. You're not you're not going to get away with the stuff that they say in the Oscar ceremonies, are you? <laughs> well, I don't know. You see, the the thing about thing about law firms is they, they're, they're very good at telling you what you should do, but sometimes they don't practice it terribly well themselves. <laughs> and I, I guess that's true of many, many businesses, but you would expect law firms in particular, you, you know, over the years, there's been many instances where you see HR issues or pay issues or, you know, those sorts of gender pay gap issues and harassment issues, which just shouldn't be there in any business, but particularly in law firms. So, yeah. so absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, brilliant. Lindsay, I mean, I do, obviously, I want to dive into why you are here. And, and I'm delighted you're here when I saw what you were doing. I was like, okay, I do yeah. need to talk to Lindsay. Just uh, quickly, yeah, before diving into the differences in the model and why it's different. What, I mean, what actually is the business of Aria Grace? What does it do? So Ari Grace, we're, we're a corporate law firm. So we do corporate commercial work. We do everything that you would think of of a city law firm. We're predominantly made up of, of uh, UK and US law firm, uh, city law firm, uh, ex-partners, etc. But the thing that we do radically differently from uh, any, anybody else is what we do with our money. And mm-hmm. so while we provide great legal advice and services in, in the M&A market and the fintech market and employment space and privacy space, um, we pay our lawyers in, in a way that enables them to get more time in life and to be able to uh, earn more. In other words, when, when you hear people say that their employees are their greatest assets, you kind of understand that they're there to be exploited and monetized. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and what we do actually is we pay our lawyers 90% of the fees, me included as found. So all of our lawyers get paid 90% of the fees that they generate for their clients. Um, now this is huge. If you don't, if your listeners don't understand how law firms work, typically it's a third, a third, a third. The lawyer gets paid a third. A third goes for the running of the business. So the buildings, the artwork on the wall, the gyms, whatever. And the third then goes to the, to the senior equity who take a big, big chunk of the salaries of the people who, who, um, work for them. And my view of, of that is that 
law has been around for a very, very long time. And there's nothing new or novel or innovative about it. So I don't have a problem with people like you know, inventors and you know, groups like you know, software developers, et cetera, who are coming up with brand new uh, innovation tools. But there's nothing new with law. And so they're just tribes. And the rationale of having to give up two-thirds of your salary just to join a tribe seemed to me to be very, very odd. So yeah, we yeah. pay our lawyers 90% of the fees um, in order to be able to go and rebalance that as the workers, in our view, should have, and, and I'm one of the workers, the workers, in our view, should have the lion's share of the money. And of course, there are overheads to pay, but in our model, we don't have expensive buildings, we don't have expensive benefits, because actually, at the end of the day, it's the clients that pays for the expensive buildings, the titian on the walls and the, you know, the artwork and the gyms and all those other things. So, and they don't add value back to the clients uh, at all. And so we're based predominantly on, on something which is highly unusual for law firms called wealth share. So we give wealth to the lawyers in a much, much bigger way, but because they get paid proportionately more, they get, they are able to charge our clients less and still get paid more. So if you're, if you're, if you're being, you know, billed out at, at you know, a hundred pounds an hour and you're only getting 30 and, you know, the rest is going elsewhere, then you're going to have to charge much higher rates or you're going to have to increase your, your uh, billing profile in order to be able to earn, you know, a, a, an equivalent salary. Whereas here, if you're billing out at hundred pounds an hour, then you'd be obviously taking home 90 pounds and it's, it's much, much quicker. But by billing ninety pounds, then you're able to go and charge the clients much, much less. Right. Okay. Yeah. No. So, so I get that. So essentially, uh, if bill at a hundred pounds, I get get thirty three of it. The client still pays a hundred. Sixty seven of that is going to uh, the money that's on the wall and the uh, and, and and the gym. By the way, uh, in case anybody's not seeing this in uh, and and you wouldn't be seeing this in video, there is a ludicrously um, cheap looking whiteboard um to the right of lindsay i'm i'm, I'm not i'm not sure that I, I would look at the surroundings that he's in and say it's what i expect in a law firm but anyway let's not go there but so 33 pounds comes from the 67 pounds essentially is paying for the uh for the costs of the organization and the partners who set the thing up or or run it who may or may not be adding probably in a specific case, not a huge amount of value to that specific case at all. Instead, I can go and say, you know what? I'm going to charge my client 60 quid. The client's getting a 40% discount. I'm not saying these are the actual numbers. Client's getting a 40% discount. But I'm making out of that 60 quid 54 pounds. So I'm making nearly double what I was in law firm and the client's got a massive discount. And presumably that remaining... 10% is the thing that's um, buying um, buying things from uh, from from Tesco's to hang on the wall rather than from... <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we, don't, we don't hang things on the wall um, because they serve no real value. But but what we do with that 10% then is we pay for the overheads of running the business, yeah. so insurance and compliance and marketing and all those sorts of things. The principle being is nobody's allowed to scoop profit out of, yeah. of, of the uh, 10% at all. Absolutely. And then... The radical part of, of that after that is, is that we give all of the profits to charity. And so this is where, where the, the, the fundamental right-sizing of what we do as corporate lawyers is we're treating lawyers, clients, and society as one ecosystem. And so as one does better, we all do better. So lawyers get paid proportionately more, clients are charged proportionately less, and charity, you know, the people who actually really genuinely need the money, you know, like um, you know, we, we've got six or seven particular charities, mostly around the food banks and mostly you know, some around like groups like Radical Recruit who help homeless people and former yeah, yeah. convicts back into society. We work for groups like uh, Hope4, who are rebuilding Moldova and Ukraine and you know, doing, doing wonderful things there. So it's, it's basically it's to, to generate a huge amount of money a yeah. lot of profit for people who genuinely need the money, not us lawyers. What kind of scale of um, donations have, have you guys made so far? Well, we last year we were £216,000 to charity and pro oh. bono work. We do probably got to do a similar number this year, although we're, we'll be, our revenues are doubling every year. What we've done this year is we've reinvested quite a lot of, of the profits back into you know, the tech and the growth because we want to 
really grow the, 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 the law firm platform so that we can take on many, many more lawyers, many, many more clients in order to be able to generate lots and lots more profit for charity. And you know, this, this, uh, this is interesting because one of the things I love about it as you describe it is, you know, there, there are businesses that are founded by someone who is uh, altruistically minded, socially minded, environmentally minded, whatever, whatever it is, where why I'm hoping you will buy my service is because we're doing quote unquote good. You know, we're, we're the good guys. We're doing really good stuff. So come and buy from me, right? You'll probably get some market that way because sure, there are some people who will go and buy services and products because intrinsically they are good. But I think there's a lot more people who will buy a product because it does what it says on the tin, does it well, and also offers value for money. And when I'm looking at what you guys have here, you have a thing that says, actually, yes, we are doing good and you should buy from us. You should use our services because we're doing good. But by the way, we're also less expensive than your Norton Roses or, or whatever. And from the supply side, as a lawyer, I'm looking at it and saying, this is fantastic because I'm going to make more here. And those for me are the models that I love because those are the models that I think create a business that is truly a sustainable business that underpins broader societal and environmental sustainability. And, you know, that's a fantastic thing. Well, actually, it's, it's, it's one step even further. I mean, we're, we're really good lawyers. We're really good at what we do. You know, we're not, we're not out to grow big numbers. There are many other, you know, alternatives, you know, out there who are just, you know, trying to grow scale, big, big scale. I, you know, we started off five years ago, me and two clients, and we're over a thousand eight hundred clients or something, you know, pretty large and mid fifties in terms of, of numbers of lawyers. I'd rather stay mid fifties in terms of numbers of lawyers and be really excellent at what we do than to have 500, you know, people who, who aren't. Um, but equally, I'd prefer to have 500 really excellent lawyers. Um, cause then that fulfills the requirements that I really want to get to, which is generate tons of money for the charity parts. And actually then my next thing further on down that is, is about social mobility. It's, it's how do you get into every single school everywhere in the country that tells every 11 and 12 year olds to go and if you know if you're good enough you're good enough and if if you if you can and if you want to become a lawyer it doesn't matter if english isn't your first language and it doesn't matter if your mum and dad have never had an experience of college or law or or whatever but you know do your gcse's do your a levels get into university get out because there's an, uh, there'll be a law firm here that's jammed to the rafters of really top quality lawyers who'll take you in who'll shape you to be an absolutely brilliant, brilliant lawyer. And the minute you qualify, then you're straight into that 90% scheme, which is phenomenal. That is fantastic. That is fantastic. And I do want to come back to that because um, I'm keen to see how how that becomes real and, and certainly some of the areas around the the role modeling that may be provided, which I'd be int- intrigued within within the company for for people who may not normally go down that path. But but I'm always intrigued how people get to here in the first place. Um, you know, some people have always had, you know, I, I was fortunate that I had p- parenting where both my parents were incredibly values driven. And so it was, it was through no fault of my own. They just kind of trickled it into my head. And, uh, and, and, and that's how it happened. I've seen others who've fallen into it because of specific events that have happened and, and even more who've been, uh, who've started the thing because it was a nice marketing ploy, but then actually found that as they engaged more with it, they believed more in the mission than they thought they would when they set off. How did you get here, Lindsay? How did you get to setting this up? Well, I mean, my journey was really, really kind of simple. As I was corporate finance TMT lawyer at Norton Rose back in the day, you know, a millennium ago, as it turns out, um, when I started uh, in 1998. And I left there in the early 2000s and became a, one of the general counsels at a FTSE 250. Um, and I left there in 2015, you know, 10 or so years later, 12, 13 years later. And then I worked for myself for, for a chunk of time. And then I had that, you know, blue pill, red pill matrix moment of, you know, the reality of, of employment and the reality of uh, the, the feudal system of the way that we all work for our overlords, particularly in law, um, really dawned on me. And I thought, well, you know, I, I was making a lot of money as a consultant and individual, and I thought I can make an awful lot more money for a lot of people um, in a similar sort of way. And then I thought, well, you know, if we're making a lot of money, then we can go and do some really good social things with it. And you know, then I just started to create what I would 
consider as a law firm that I would want to join. So it took me about a year and a bit. <laughs> Honestly, it took me so long to, to create it and to think of it and to model it and then to persuade, you know, a couple of people to join it, you know, because everyone's an equal partner. And I, you know, I said then and I say now that when people join the firm, it's not my firm. I was just the first in. It's all of our firms. You know, I've just helped shape the, the, the financials and how, how structurally it works and, you know, the underpinning philosophy of it. But, but it's, it's there for the benefit of everybody. And so I, I got into it because I thought the overlord system of, you know, people paying for the, what we call the portions and divorces of the senior equity is, is, is silly and it's expensive for clients. And, um, it was also around about the time where, you know, equal pay was, was coming up as a proper conversation where, you know, the gender pay gaps were just ludicrous, um, among many other pay gap deficiencies. Um, and the financial apartheid, which was very prevalent everywhere, was becoming more and more obvious. And handedly, I was heading into my late forties, um, by that stage and, you know, come from a very lucky, privileged background. Anyone who's in the UK who's a lawyer has had some form of, you know, help and, you know, bit of, bit of luck or a bit of privilege or, or whatever. And I think it's incumbent on us all to give back. Um, and helping people, I, was, I remember talking to a lot of people about gender pay gaps and they're saying, well, we're lobbying this firm and we're lobbying that firm and we're lobbying government. And of course, all people were doing were, were by lobbying is, is wrapping up a problem, putting it at the doorstep of people that don't really care. I mean, if you, if you, if, you know, as Turkey's voting for Christmas, I mean, I, in order to pay you equally, I have to sacrifice some of my pay. Well, I'm not doing that. Why would I? Yeah. I mean, if, if you look at any organization anywhere in the world today that isn't doing equal pay, that isn't actively, you know, making sure that equal pay happens, it's, it's not because they can't, it's because they don't want to. You know, if yeah. you're not doing it, you, you, it's because yeah. you don't want to. So, so I decided, well, I'll set up a firm that I would want to join. Um, and, you know, one that creates that great opportunity. And Warren Buffett says, says, you know, cool things like, you know, the only thing you can't buy is time. And so in deciding to give the lawyers 90% of the fees, um, it, it creates time, you know, because what, what, what's that mean is, well, you can, everyone's got a number that they have to earn a year. And, you know, you can earn more than that with this model or, or less if you want to, you can work one hour or, or 3000 hours if you want to, but, by by getting ninety percent of the fee, you get to your number, whatever your number is, you know, much much quicker than you can anywhere else. And then you can decide to go and do what you want to do, whether it's fishing or knitting or looking after your kids or parents or earning more money. You know, th- then you've got that luxury of doing you know greater things with your time. So so that was the the, the principal reason of setting it up was I could see that there was all sorts of isms, racism, sexism, ageism, elitism. You know, in in Particularly in my area of, of the world, which law as a as a you know corporate city lawyer, I could I could see it you know prevalent everywhere. And I thought, well, somebody has got to make this change. You can't lobby things. The structure is broken. It was very clear to me the structure was broken. The capitalistic structure had been radicalized and had gone to the extremes. And I personally believe that socialism and capitalism, capitalism done correctly sort of land around about the same sort of space, you know, in, in around about that middle ground. It's only when they're radicalized that they move east and west. And and to me, it becomes more and more obvious this is, you know, when you see that there's so many billionaires created during the pandemic and so many billionaires exist to, to, to this day. And you, and you look at, with all those billionaires in existence, they're taking money that can be either used by other people or they're taking opportunity because of their size and scale away from you know, other people. So they can afford to buy, you know, swathes of property or landmass or, you know, definitive resources, you know, within, you know, what's, what's left in the world. And, and, and if we sometimes fool ourselves into thinking that, you know, if we're a millionaire or a multimillionaire that we were anyway related to the billionaires of the world. And, and it's, it's a fool's, <laughs> it's a fool's paradigm yeah, because yeah. like if, if you, if you break millions down into seconds, it's, it's one million in seconds is 11 and a half days. Yeah. And, and, and a billion is 32 years. And so I think everyone should have an aspiration to be, you know, have a million or two in their lives. Why not? You know, it's, 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 yeah. But if you're, if you're a multimillionaire, you've got 
way more in common with the bottom six billion than you have with the, you know, the people at the other end of the spectrum who've got one, two, or two hundred of those billions. You know, and all they're doing is is hoarding and preventing. So th- this this whole structure and this whole philosophy behind Area Grace is about wealth share. It's about how do you break down that that you know financial apartheid? How do you build a bridge between the really poor and you know people who are in that whole millions space because nobody needs millions. Nobody needs, certainly nobody needs billions. It's complete and utter, you know, waste and disparity. Yeah, no, it is. And it, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing when you look at how the billions generate billions, um, especially around areas of tax. You know, when you look at the fact that you can, um, you can use, you can use the purchase of a yacht to make yourself wealthier. Uh, which is fascinating, right? If I if I buy myself a yacht that allows me to be non-domiciled all over the place, I've actually I'm um, I'm saving more in tax than having the purchase of the yacht itself. And it's and, and you're just looking at it, okay, now this is this is this is a different scale of thing going on. But back to back to this, and and by the way, I love that. I do think you know I do fundamentally think, and this is why I'm I'm doing this podcast. I think the current capitalist model is broken. The Everywhere that it's gone to since the Chicago school with Milton Friedman, where the, so the only social purpose of the business is to its shareholders, that is uh, one of his more famous um, quotes, I think, is, is, is also at odds with where capitalism was, capitalism was in the in 40s and 50s and, 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 and right. previously. Yeah. No, I love, I love capitalism. I think it's great. It's just, it's just the way it's been radicalized, I think, is appalling. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and so there's so much that you said that that's worth unpicking. I'm fascinated by this thing with the number. You referred to the number. I love the concept of the number. I, I term it as the, I term it around the word enough, actually. For me, that, yeah, there is a, there is, there, at some level, everyone should have an enough. And it's our loss of touch with that as a concept under the modern model that has created a lot of ills. That there isn't an enough. That there's always more. More is always a better answer than enough. And you specifically sort of went there with uh, with you know with, with the concept of the number. Is, is is that something that's talked about within the organisation? As guys, think about the number. But there's a choice. Yeah. So everyone's got a choice, and what what it does is it allows you to to step away from greed. It allows you to step away from fear of not having enough next year or the year after or the year after. Because when you work in, in, in area grace, you're in this extraordinarily luxurious position. And, you know, it, it is an absolute privilege to be in it. Because first of all, you have to be quite privileged to become a lawyer in the first place by today's standards. But then you're in the model, which, which is defined about trying to be good for your health and for your values and for your money and for your flexible working. Uh, we don't have billable targets. We don't have, you know, there's everything is designed around the human being to make their working life better. You, you, you genuinely couldn't think of a better model for, for supporting and enabling a human. But we don't say, you know, Lindsay Healy, you've earned £350,000 last year. That's enough. That's a decision for me to make. You know, it's, it's a decision for me to get to. But what we do talk about quite a lot in, in here is, is about wealth share and, you know, what that does, because we do a huge amount of pro bono, uh, work. So you, you, we spoke before, I think, about the work that we've done with post office, sub postmasters and court of criminal appeal. We do a huge amount of pro bono work across the patch so that we can see in real terms what's really out there. And we donate our profits to Predominantly to food banks because, you know, it's, it's absolutely extraordinary in one of the world's most powerful economies that, pe- that we have to have food banks in the bloody first place. I mean, what nonsense is that? I mean, to, to deprive people of a sufficient amount of wealth that they have to have handouts in order to be able to, you know, feed themselves and the family while there are billionaires who are sitting on assets that are just wasted and they're not earned, they're just accumulated. Um, so we don't need to talk about it enough because we, we see it. And I, yeah. I don't think you can tell people you have to have enough or you have had. Yeah. For me, I'm not even, I'm, I'm not even thinking. And when I think of the concept of enough, I don't think it's anybody's prerogative necessarily to dictate what anybody else's enough is. We'll all have our views on it for sure. 
But I think actually it's, it's, I'm talking more about the embracing of the concept of enough, whatever your enough is, embracing that there is a concept that says enough is enough. And beyond that, actually, I could do other things, whether they are me spending time with my family or, or, or great things for me, or whether they are doing pro bono work or whatever it is. But accepting that whether my enough is 400 grand, 50 grand or 1.8 mil, that beyond that, whatever that number is, I have options that can contribute more positively. And it's a good thing for me to embrace the concept of enough rather than necessarily the numbers. And that, that I guess, is more the question. I'm wondering if the lawyers who come to you, or even whether within the culture of the organization, there's anything that is explicit around the concept of enough, not the num- not what the number is, but the fact that actually, guys, maybe think about it in these terms. We 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 think about it in terms of one ecosystem. So mm-hmm. we think about it in terms of you know lawyers, clients, and society together. Yeah. Um, and we're we're constantly trying to come up with better ways of of serving society because. You know, the, the, the great oxymoron of this whole thing is, is here you've got an altruistic corporate law firm. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. It's just, it's, it's, it's. You're right. This interview's over. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's illogical. Um, and you, you know, for a bunch, you, you know, next, the whole, the whole, the whole principle we, we say in some of our mission statements is, you know, join us or copy us. We we're highly revenue generative, highly profitable. You know, we work in a way that, that, you know, people can earn, you know, seven, eight hundred thousand pounds a year if they wanted to and only be working 30 or 40 hours a week if, 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 if yeah. they so chose. You know, it's, it's, it's an incredible gift, as I keep saying, but it's, it's, it's also the concept of how do we, it's not just about enough for ourselves, but how do we do more for others is, is the thing. So we don't really, so I mean, for example, we plant a tree after every deal. Right. That's a very simple thing to go and do. You know, that was, that was given to me, you know, by Alex Hamilton, who's, who's, who's another brilliant lawyer in the city. And, uh, you know, we plant a tree after every deal, whether it's an NDA or if it's a big corporate transaction, you know, with multiple documents. Yeah. That costs a pound a tree, right? It's nothing. It's not very much, right? So sometimes we double it or triple it or whatever, right? We, we, we do thousands of deals every year. So that's thousands of trees planted, but it's a small and incremental thing to do. Right. So it's uh, how do you shift the mindset? After a lawyer joins Aria Grace and they've been here for a year, we plant a sequoia in their name. This sequoia is, you know, is California Redwood. Yeah. Yeah. The California Redwoods in California, they consume about 1,400 metric tons. The ones planted here consume about 500 metric tons of carbon every year. And that's approximately, give or take, what you and I would admit in our lifetime. So it's a carbon, you know, it's a, it's a complete carbon offset for one human being. And the simple things to do, they're not you know, very expensive, but it forces you to think outside of your own environment. Why? Because we've, we've taken away the fear because we've enabled people to be able to earn whatever they want to earn. You know, if you, if you want to work 3,000 hours, you will earn, you know, several million pounds. You know, if, if you want to work 10 hours a week, you learn, you know, tens of thousands of pounds, right? That's, you can, we've taken away the fear of, how am I going to have money? How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to put my kids to university? How am I going to look after my aged parents? How am I going to... We've taken away that fear because there's a sufficient amount of money, more than enough if you wanted to, but you've taken away that, that anxiety around it, which is typically the thing that you see in every single business model because they're based on those pyramidical structures where you're trying to advance your career and you're trying to get up here, but the person up here has got something over you because they are the deciders of your fate. They're the yeah. deciders of, do you go on holidays this year? Do they, you know, are you going to be able to send your kids to private schools if that's what you know, choose to do? They're deciders because you need to get more and they're blocking you. Well, actually, in our world, there's no pyramidical structure. You can decide yourself how and where to work. Yeah. And then you can decide outside of that how what you do with the rest of your time, whether that's fly fishing or knitting or yeah. you know, everything else. I'm intrigued with that. Is there, um, would you say there is an ARIA culture in any way or is, is it too disparate in terms of how people engage with it for it to actually have a culture? We're too small yet to have a proper culture. We have, um, I mean, we're 50 at the moment, 50, mid 50s. 
we have a bunch of like-minded human beings and that's starting to, you know, generate and regenerate. And, and you know, as we go through iterations of, you know, value-led conversations and outputs and deciding on what charities we go and work with and how we help people in a, in a wider, in a wider spectrum, that becomes more and more prevalent. But, you know, for, for example, we've, 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 we've taken our model and we've spoken about it quite a lot on social media and podcasts and, 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 and similar. And lots of other people hear about it and it, and it, it blows their heads. They, they, yeah. they get in contact and they go, hang on a sec, this sounds too good to be true. Surely this can't be right. And then you go through the whole, whole, whole principle of that and, and, and why it works. You know, a great example of we're, we're just, for for the meeting, we're just about to open in in Italy. Um, uh, do our formal opening. We've got several Italian lawyers now who've been following Aria Grace for several years and wanted to bring it into Italy as a franchise or whatever. We said no, just take it, copy it, whatever. But actually, as it turns out, we're going in. We're creating Aria Grace Italy, and we're doing the same thing in Israel and the same thing in Dubai, and we'll do the same thing in Dublin and Australia and the US and you know, places because we're able to bring this, this, I think it's, it's a, it's a rational, it's a, your traditional models are highly irrational because they're based on master servant. Uh, this is a highly rational, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a freeing up. It's, it's a liberty, um, event where, where people can say, actually, hang on a second, I'm controlling my own destiny. Yeah. You know, I'm now outside the structures of everything else. You know, this is, this is the great thing about this, this thing is, it's outside or, and it's agnostic to every other structure that's there. We're not dependent on anybody. Whereas your law firms and your accountants practices and your banks, they're all, you know, it's dependent on and heavily regulated by, by people who don't necessarily have the individual's interest and the, the, the human's interest at heart to allow them to flourish and to develop. So, so, which I can see. I mean, so, so it's interesting because I think maybe then it's not so much culture. So, so I, I, I believe company cultures gen, generally form off the back of the values of the founder, especially if we're talking SME. If it's been around for hundreds of years, then it's evolved and all kinds of things have happened. Relatively young company, uh, its culture comes from the displayed values of its founders more often than not. Um, you know, quite often in my work when I, you know, speak to SMEs and, and, and because I attract a certain kind of company to work with me, which tends to be a company that's values led. One of the very early conversations is we haven't done our quote unquote values work. We need to set them up and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and my take on it usually is actually at the stage that you're at, your values are already permeating through the organization because you're a founder and there's 20, 30, 40 people around you. You haven't got several thousand where you need to get really explicit about this stuff because your direct impact is no longer felt by the entire organization. When I look at what you have, I mean, it, it's, it does sound like it's very strong values-led. Whether or not those values have been explicitly articulated, there is a core set of values that you've brought in terms of how to found this thing. And I accept what you were saying earlier. It's not your company, quote unquote, but you were the earliest on and came up with the model. And those, that model, uh, was predicated on a set of values. So perhaps rather than culture, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, is there, I'm wondering whether the lawyers who work at ARIA coalesce in any way. So quite often that is a culture. But it may be around a set of values. It may be around community. I, I guess I'm trying to get in my mind, is there a feeling of I work for or with or in? In is probably the best word rather than for. I work in ARIA. Or does it feel more like actually I'm a lawyer who's adopted this model and it's a lovely model because it works for me? Yeah, and there's probably a hybrid. Within ARIA Grace, I think, particularly the earlier earlier years where there wasn't a culture, there's just the... the, the I mean, in many ways, you ask yourself, this probably is deeply philosophical, but what an earth culture actually is. Um, <laughs> I, you know, we, we've all worked, well, I've worked in, in many sort of you know, large organizations where they say, our culture is... And, and suddenly you've got this thing forced upon you and you're thinking, well, okay, it's, okay I'll, I'll give lip service to that. Sure, tick. You know, it was a little bit like, you know, corporate social responsibility for, you know, years gone by. And I've seen it so many times where it's a tick box exercise and it's not real. So there's no integrity behind it. 
you know, I, I think we start with a basic sort of thing of our, our, if, if, if we have a culture, it's of doing the right thing. It's about wealth share. It's about respect. It's, you know, it's, it's genuinely about looking after human beings. And, you know, as lawyers, we, we sort of divide it into two because it's, it's quite interesting. It's Harry Grace Law, CIC. And one of the things that we, we, we call ourselves is excellence with purpose. And, you know, the culture is about we're bloody good lawyers. And we're also really good with purpose. And, you know, so be excellent at what you do and everything that you do. And, you know, it's not really a culture to be kind and respectful. It's not really a culture, I don't think, anyway. But, you know, I mean, I, I, I would have grave difficulty trying to work out what a culture is. Because culture is mostly something that people say they do, but don't do. And, or, or they, they, they think it sounds like a really good soundbite. We went through a phase where we used to call ourselves ethical lawyers because of, you know, the stuff that we used to do downstream. Then I kind of realized, well, one person's ethics is another person's non-ethics. And some of these things are just common sense. And some of these things are, are, you know, and then, you know, people start white greenwashing and whitewashing and other sort of washing the word ethical. And then suddenly everyone's ethical. And then suddenly it means nothing. And then you're a B Corp and then you're a B Corp that's got, you know, some are really good, some are really bad. And you think, oh God, the whole thing's so confused. Why not just not label yourself something? Why not just do what you do? Do it in the way that is designed to be as transparent as humanly possible. And then people can decide whether that's, you know, values, cultures, ethics, whatever. They can, they can decide themselves because it's up to everyone outside that. Internally, we get everyone signing up. So you've got to be excellent and you've got to be, you know, try and, 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 and help us, you know, build out the model, you know, which is helping the next generation of lawyers come on board, which is, you know, helping giving money to people who actually need the money, not us, you know, lawyers and helping drive sustainability conversations and, you know, get an A in circulistics again, you know, this year and, you know, keep sustainability in the forefront and to drive wealth share as a concept because it, it, it should be. And, you know, those are the sorts of things that if that's a culture, then yeah, we're really good at that. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, and, and actually, I, I don't know where I may be different. I, I do, I do differentiate between values, I think, and culture. I think values is an important thing. Uh, well, they're both important things, actually, but values are the things that I drive for and culture kind of forms or doesn't off the back of that. Um, it was a, um, it was a moment for me when I was interviewing. So I've, I've probably interviewed over a thousand people in, in my career and, the, there was a real moment, and I remember it very clearly within an interview when I was trying to get understand cultural fit for the person that I was interviewing for, when I realized that actually culture wasn't the thing at all that I was looking for, it was values. I wanted cultural diversity, but values conformity. And what I meant by that was in our line of work, in consulting, which is what it was, you needed to give a damn about the thing that you were creating for your client and you needed to have pay have some attention to detail in terms of how you did that work. That's a core value. What I wanted was whoever came to me to share that value with me. Uh, and if you didn't share that value, then probably where we weren't the organization for you. Whether you were a punk rocker, a uh, Rasta, uh, yeah, black, uh, a white 60-year-old man, um, it really made no difference from that perspective. So that cultural diversity was always a great thing, but I wanted values conformity. And when I'm looking at or listening to some things you're talking about, I'm, I am hearing, you know, there is a core value around the concept of wealth share for you. And for me, that is a value. That's a thing that, that there's a value statement that comes out of that, that says, actually, we believe that wealth should be more equitably distributed and equitably distributed based on being genuinely earned rather than some kind of rentier capitalist model. And therefore, that's why we're setting up the model that we are. I'm also intrigued, and, and by the way, tell me if, if I'm wrong, but that's kind of how I'm hearing it. But I am intrigued that it's it, to, to see how that translates, because you mentioned earlier about the um, looking at the next generation as well. And it sounds to me like that's a really core and fundamental direct consequence of that value that you talk about within WealthShare, which should be saying, you know, if you're a 14-year-old black girl and you want to get into law, we certainly don't want that to be a model that you're excluded from. It's not even necessarily about whether you decide that that's a thing or not. You, it should be an option that you have if that's something that you're considering. And, and the fact that you're a, a black 14-year-old girl 
shouldn't stop you from thinking, this is the thing I want to do. And we should have a system that absolutely, a system and environment that absolutely encourages you to go and do that thing if it's your thing. And I'm wondering within, you, 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 you touched on the word diversity. How does that look within ARIA at the moment? Um, is that, is that a thing you pay attention to explicitly or is that a thing that by virtue of the model that you have has just grown to be the way it is? It's an open door to anybody who's good enough is good enough. So that's, that's the, the, so we don't care whether you're black or white, gay or straight, young, old, man, woman, anything in between, whatever. But we also recognize that in law, in corporate law, in the sort of area of stuff that we do, that your different backgrounds and different creeds and cultures haven't necessarily had the same opportunities as your white male Christians in this country. And so that's a, it's a very, very unfair starting point where your, your white male Christian is, you know, 10 miles ahead of the start line and you know, everyone else is in various different positions further behind. So it's easy to say, like, oh yeah, we're, we're, we're open door to anybody. It's more difficult to open the door to everybody because that door, there, there's nobody behind that door. Yeah. You know, or there are very, very few. Um, they don't know where the door is or that it's open. Yeah. So, so the, the, the principle by the, behind the schools and getting, I mean, it's called Aria Grace, mm-hmm. right? The law firm is Aria Grace because those are the middle two names of my daughters. Right. And it's about the next generation and the next generation after that the next generations after that. And so when you look at, uh, and as it was specifically designed, I mean, I remember when, when I, I, I set it up in 2018 and then somebody said to me, oh gosh, did you know that there's a gay lesbian author in America called Aria Grace as well? So that's cool. It's really good. <laughs> and my ambition was to, at that time was, you know, to, to outdone her on the SEO optimization on, on Google. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was that was my my girl at the time, and, and I thought, jeeps, that's so cool. I love the fact that there was a gay and lesbian author called Aria Grace in the U.S. You know, because it, it sort of tipped where we're going. It almost felt like a, a cosmic sign, you know. But so diversity is cool in every other way, other than the fact that there aren't enough people out there that we can get in order to be truly diverse. What we don't want is is a law firm that looks like me, full of people like me, because that's what your typical you know, city law firms look like. We want a law firm that looks like the UK, you know, reflective of all the cultures and the creeds and the denominations and, 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 and the like, whether you're able-bodied or, or otherwise, it doesn't really matter, you know, a, a hoot. You know, we have several people within Area Grace who, who are registered, you know, disabilities. We've got people of all genders. We've got, you know, we're, we're more women than men, um, which is cool. You know, as I say, we've got pretty much Every type of culture you can you, you can wave a stick at, um, and that's pretty cool. Given that we're only you know fifty odd lawyers, but we want more. We want more, and to go out and find them, and actually go out and look for them, and looking for people to to say, yeah, come on in. But you got to be bloody good to come in. We're not after numbers. We're after brilliant lawyers. So that young girl of age fourteen who you're talking to, you know, when she's ready. She'll come in if she's good enough. In she comes. And so we have to, I think, go back way further than, you know, what we've got, you know, today and look at how we're presenting and creating and building up the next generations so that they've got that opportunity. No, and it's fascinating. I think you're right. I think the, the, I always look at the pipeline. I mean, it's, it's, it's always interesting when a company in order to meet its, Stated diversity goal recruits a female member of the board, right? And I'm never going to say that's a bad thing um, in terms of bringing it in, but 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 it almost feels like a parachuting in. Whereas when I look at it, I think, well, why couldn't you grow that person so that there's a pipeline of people waiting? And I'm not not denying the person who's come into the opportunity, but I think we're much more by looking at the full pipeline. And it's fascinating, sort of some of um, the alumni of this podcast, uh, um, when I look at Charlie, who founded the Girls Network, which incidentally, I'd recommend to any of your female lawyers or any from uh, uh, any minorities to look at, because they effectively provide mentoring for girls at the age, uh, uh, you know, teenage girls 
primarily to give them someone who look, they can look at and say, oh, she kind of looks like me when I'm a bit older. Yeah. And she's a lawyer. Isn't that cool? Because I really didn't think that was a thing. And it starts at that stage. They've got a fantastic structured program where they take people through it. But it's interesting, you look further down the pipeline and um, fairly recently on one of these episodes, I, I, I interviewed uh, a couple of people who worked at a company, uh, a technology consultancy company, and Javon Spencer, who is their director, was director of operations and became their director of culture. And let's not talk about that, but, but she became, she's a, a black lady, American, in an American company. And she mentioned something that really opened my eyes, which was she said, as a black woman, when I was first starting, I was more afraid of making a mistake than any white guy that I knew. And that kind of hit me like a steam train because it, because it's, it was one of those things where she was just saying, you know what that means? I didn't really want the stretch assignment because I was more afraid of the consequences of failure than the white guys who had it. And so I'm almost holding myself back. And I, I just found that very profound because as much as we look at the, the, the issues around diversity and how we can close the gap, when you look at it in terms of how it translates to the day-to-day work and attitude and aptitude and desire for grasping things that sits in, in, in minority, in minor, it's not even minorities, in non-white male groups. That's the point, isn't it? It's a fascinating thing. That, and that's why it's, br- yeah. it's brilliant to go and, and, you know, parachute women into boards so that they can break those, those glass ceilings or whatever they want to call them. But, you know, because you have to, you have to break a structure. And even if they, the particular individuals, you know, if you want to argue that they didn't get there by merit or whatever, it doesn't really matter because actually it's the next ones that follow and the ones that follow after that because somebody's gone in, they've broken the mold. And now, you know, a woman or a, sorry, I should probably say a non-white male has taken over a particular role. Then the next non-white male can go and follow that role and, and so on and so on. So that's cool because then, then that becomes meritocratic based, you know, because they get on there because they're the best and that's cool. And we've built the pipeline. Uh, and we've I, built the pipeline. For me, it's the building that pipeline. And that's why, I, it, to me, it seems like such a natural extension of the Aria Grace model to be doing this schoolwork. And yeah. I'd be intrigued to see how that goes for you because I think it's a great thing to be doing, um, especially if, if some of that work is being delivered by non-white blokes <laughs> in terms of going out there. And, and do, you know, do you know the great thing about this sort of model is kind of cool because what I was talking about gender pay gaps and turkeys voting for Christmas before was you know, through enablement. This, a model like this, you could theoretically have hundreds of thousands of people working in it. So, so nobody's under threat. You're not under threat as, as you know, saying, well, you know, you're, I'm, I'm white and male. And if I have to go and render up a board business, we don't have a board. We don't have an executive. We don't have any of that sort of stuff. We got people who are making really good money who are doing really good things with that money. And they've got time and they've got everything that they possibly want. They've got health and they can work in whichever way that they want to work, which is brings out the best in them. You can do that. And all of those initiatives of diversity and equal pay and you know, inclusion and you know, every single type of good initiative you can do without threatening the existence or the welfare or the wealth capability of anybody else. Yeah, no, which is fantastic. I mean, to create a model where it is, it, you know, it, it's less dog eat dog. Is a, is, a, is a great thing. I'm intrigued, Lindsay, looking at a completely different angle here. Um, when you go and pitch for work, I want to explore a, a different perspective here, which is the, again, looking at the business of Aria Grace mm-hmm. and client engagement. When you pitch for work, do you pitch as Aria Grace or do the lawyers pitch as themselves? How does that work? No, we pitch as Aria Grace. We pitch as the lawyer from Aria Grace. So, you know, we've got former corporate partners from firms like Alan Novery, former partners from, you know, large US law firms and, you know, international entities. So we like to, because Ari Grace is so small and new and, and that it's very difficult for people to get the kite mark of excellence. Yeah. It's, it's, it's brilliant to be able to now say, you know, winners of the law company of the year at the lawyer awards. That's cool. But we, we do need, as we're growing our brand as excellent lawyers, you know, that you know, hinterland of somebody else's excellence. So when we introduce, you know, a partner as a former corporate partner from Alan and Overy, then we get 
instant credibility because <laughs> everyone knows that she is top brass and we can go dance toe to toe in any deal that we do with any city law firm or US law firm. No, which is brilliant. But but there is very much the pitch. Is it is an Aria Grace pitch? We are, you know, we're coming here as Aria Grace. So there is. Well, a... we, we we never we, we don't really pitch. If I'm honest, we we just tell people what we do. We tell them who we are and what we do. And actually, my my see my 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 theory of human beings is is that we all come across RC people, shall mm. we say, yeah. in large corporates, right? And you look at them, you go, God, you're hideous. You're a heinous individual blah, 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 all that sort of thing. You make all those judgments. But you meet that person, that human being outside of that environment. And actually, they're really decent people. Yeah. yeah. Really, really lovely. And I've, I've got a, a working theory that most people are really, really lovely, really decent people. And then when you tell them what we're doing as a law firm, we're saying, well, we're providing you with best of breed of lawyers. We're, we're going to do it at a rate that's half of what the city rate is or, 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 or less. So we're going to make you instant savings. And instead of the profits going to, you know, the West Wing of, you know, some senior equity partner, it's going to go and feed a family of five for three months. And it's going to be nutritious food and it's going to have a CO2 saving yeah. from, from the planet. Or you're going to go and get some unemployed people who were, you know, former addicts into jobs off benefits and in society. Or you've got to rebuild, you know, parts of Ukraine and Moldova. You know, so that's where your money is. And we write to them every month and we tell them what we're doing planting trees and we're doing all the, all those sorts of things. It, it's, it's a no brainer. You know, we, we say, that's what we do. These are our credentials. They start off with excellence because if you don't have that, everything else is a, just a nice story. But we start with that. And if you want to buy it, buy it. If you don't, don't. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and incidentally, I've been trying to get Emma Freevogel on this podcast. We've been talking about it forever. And because I, I know you, you, you've alluded to the work with her and I love what She's she does. amazing recruit. Yeah. It is really, really amazing. And I'd recommend anyone should look at that if you are in the recruitment game or if you are looking to recruit. But in terms of the clients themselves and what kinds of clients do you, is there a specific niche we, that Ari Grace? We, 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 we have clients that are way bigger than, you know, what we should have. We've got some of them we can't name, but we've got some of the world's largest car manufacturers. We've got some of the world's legal, you know, largest legal Service providers come to us to, to, to give them advice. We've got some of the world's largest outsourcing companies come to us for, you know, outsourcing deals. We've got incredible fintech communities. We're, we're starting to, to heavily engage with some very, very large and, and well established and well known, you know, venture capital companies. Yeah. So the, 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 the types are getting bigger on one particular deal. Um, I'm definitely not going to name this, but it was a public procurement deal. And we were that customer's entire ESG offering as part of that deal. Hmm. And it becomes not only that we're, we're providing brilliant legal services, but we've got so many other things yeah. that are beneficial, not just to human beings at the other side of it, who are seeing money being used in a really, really cool way. Yeah, in many ways, I, I, I look at ourselves as a, as a cash-making you know, huge cash making machine for charities dressed up as an excellent law firm. And, you know, they, 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 they see this and they go, wow, that's awesome. But also the, the values that we can bring for their own corporate. So, you know, the, the, the ESG requirements that you have to have, you know, up and down your supply chain, that's really helpful. And so you've got clearly a numbered growing roster of large clients. Uh, you mentioned that there's an amount of pro bono work that goes on as well. Do SMEs engage with you at all? Is is or or they're mostly, our, they're, they're mostly our target market, if I'm honest, because you know I, I, I don't like the idea of working for you know banks. Um, I, I find the structure of banks very difficult. Uh, I prefer to act for people who are you know 99 of, of of businesses the SME space, and the fact that we can we can service that 99 percent of you know the UK market. At really affordable rates yeah. for those people while giving them, you know, heavyweight lawyers to yeah. go and fight with other heavyweight lawyers if that's where they're trying to grow into, then that's a very, that's a very uh, attractive proposition. Yeah. And that's kind of why I ask because I increasing a lot of SMEs. In fact, a lot of people that I talk to in, you know, beyond the quarter itself, my uh, SME, if you will, there's an increasing number of us who believe we want to do things better. Um, but we also don't have the, the depth of wallet of a, large car manufacturer, uh, but would want 
proper legal representation at various points. And I'm looking at, you know, a model which says actually it's cheaper and you get better quality. And by the way, it also does all of this good. You know, for, if you're an SME, you'd be a fool to not consider that as the main thing to, to engage with if you are looking for lead. And, that, and that's kind of why I asked the question. But it's so often an overlooked market because we all love the big logo. Right, we all love we, to say we, we do, but the, the the great thing about it is it goes back to that kite mark stuff of you know you talk about um, a lawyer being someone from Baker McKenzie or Bird and Bird or you know we've got the full spectrum of people. It's a kite mark, yeah. But that's that just happened to be the the old hunting grounds where I used to be as city lawyer. But you know we don't want just you know old city lawyers. We want this is to open up to everybody in the same way as clients are a great kite mark saying, well, you, you know if if company. Household company X is is you know good enough for you know this firm then then great so are we and we can all join into that and you can yeah. we tell these bigger firms instead of bigger clients that you know we're charging you significantly more than we'd be charging a small SME but significantly less than what you've been paying for from a city yeah. law firm and they're like cool it's great yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 this big it's this big industry helping each other out and yeah. and so they're sponsoring some of the smaller clients who. You know, the really small ones, we'll, we, we generally, you know, work for free sometimes. You know, yeah. it's, it's a great thing. It's to establish relationships and build them up. And that's a very good, you know, way, way to do business. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I can see that. I can see that. Lindsay, I could go on forever because it's, I, this is fascinating. Um, in terms of where you're taking this, I, I'm intrigued just uh, kind of in, in inclusion to see what, what you see as the future for Ari Grace. What are you trying to do with it? Where, where do you see it going? What's next? Well, so we spent the first half of this year preparing our business for scale. So that's the technology, the marketing, the enablement, and, and the reinvestment back into the business. Realistically, I, I would expect to be about 80 lawyers at the end of this year, 200 lawyers at the end of next year, and several thousands in the year after, because there are many, many brilliant lawyers out there. Many, many. Uh, that gets us into a power play where we'll be creating, hopefully, tens, twenties, millions of pounds for charities. That's huge. So um, we'll be in multiple jurisdictions. We will be in multiple different lines of business as well. So we're just into now we're doing commercial uh, services. So commercial directors, you know, not lawyers are coming into our grace, providing services to uh, big institutions. We will be doing a lot of ESG consulting, those sorts of things. So advisory services, not just legal services. And the whole idea, we'll, we might even open that into accounting and others or try and get other people to go and do this. The whole idea is to say, to show people that we are highly, highly, highly successful because people want to imitate and mimic or join success. And the more successful we are, the more money we'll make for radical recruit the charities that we want to make for, we'll plant more trees, we'll do all those sorts of things. Lots and lots of lawyers making 90% is really cool. It's much better than one or two people making a thousand percent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. It's interesting. I wonder, um, you know, it is the kind of thing you look at and think, okay, is this actually, and I'm sure you've thought it, going to disrupt the industry? That much overused word. Um, we're, we're, we're here. We're not going anywhere. We're getting yeah. bigger. Yeah. We're getting more influential. What will happen though in the future for law, I think, is, is that you're going to have the very, very large law firms will rationalize a little bit, but they'll take over the massive deals. You know, the ones you need 20, 30, 40, 100 you know, lawyers on, you know, those massive, massive deals. Then you'll have, you know, firms like ours who will take over the next layer down. Um, we'll do all the M&A transactions and the, and the, and the smaller type of deals where people can work flexibly in whatever way they want to. Then you have a layer you know, below that again, which would be your high street practice where, you know, human beings walk into, get their wills and conveyancing, that side of things. And to the side of that, you'll have litigation, you know, up and down for that stretch. So you, you'll have, you have those sorts of things, but we're easing into market share. Yeah. Slowly. You know, this type of model will, will, will have a tipping point and then it'll explode as it becomes more and more, you know, prevalent. And we want people to either, as I say, copy it or join it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you will. I think you will. Lindsay, thank you so much for making the time. It's been absolutely uh, delight for to have the conversation. Obviously, it'll be in the show notes, but how do people find Aria Grace? Is it Aria Dash Grace? How do they find you? <laughs> yeah, so it's www.aria-grace.com. Brilliant. Lindsay, thank you so much for making the time. Really good fun to talk to you, as well as uh, fascinated <laughs> by the problem and where it goes. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. Talk soon. Thanks for joining me on this episode of The Karmic Capitalist. Please rate and subscribe if you want to hear more about companies doing good business and the nitty-gritty of how they got there. I'd also love to have a conversation with you if you lead a small to medium-sized business with 10 to 100 employees and values are important to you. If that's you, come join me and a handful of other CEOs in one of my weekly thought-provoking conversations about how to make your strategy and purpose happen. We discuss and workshop practicalities, processes, strategies, and the human nuances of scaling up, giving you more time to do strategic things and even what those strategic things might be. Find details at btq.link slash make strategy real.